In this study, I want to look at Galatians chapter 3. And I want to look at Galatians chapter 3 because there the Apostle Paul explains the relationship between the law and the promise. Or to put it differently, he explains the relationship between the Mosaic covenant and the Abrahamic covenant. And he shows that the Mosaic covenant is not contrary to or against the Abrahamic covenant. So it's in this chapter then that we come to our final um, part of our study of the Mosaic covenant. But it's going to probably take us, I think, two sessions to get through this material in Galatians chapter 3. Now what we have to do as we're beginning our study of Galatians 3 is remember that this book was written against the Judaizers. And the Judaizers were Christian people who taught, converted Jews that is, who taught that the Gentiles who believed must be circumcised in order to be saved. They taught, in other words, a justification by the works of the law. Paul says of this teaching of the Judaizers that it is another gospel, and he pronounces anathema on it in chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. And it's in chapter 3 that he gets to the substance of his argument here and begins to explain how we are to understand the Mosaic covenant in relation to the Abrahamic covenant. And the basic message that he gives to us here is that the law was not against the promise of God made to Abraham, but was instead a schoolmaster to bring them to Christ. But I want to um, give for a little background to this discussion, first of all, the idea that this uh, Mosaic covenant, the covenant that God made with Israel at Sinai, fulfilled the Abrahamic covenant, that is, fulfilled it in a typical way. God was not only giving to Israel uh, another covenant there at Mount Sinai, but he was also at the same time fulfilling the covenant that he had made with Abraham. And you can see this very easily if you look at the promises that God made to Abraham as recorded for us in Genesis 12, Genesis 15, and Genesis 17 especially. Those promises were the promise of a numerous seed, which had been fulfilled while Israel was in Egypt and continued to be fulfilled while Israel lived in the land of Canaan. The promise was a promise of blessing, and that promise of blessing was fulfilled to Israel in her inheritance of the land of Canaan, the land flowing with milk and honey. The promise was to bless those who blessed Abraham and to curse those who cursed him and to bless those who blessed his seed and to curse those who cursed his seed. And you see this happening throughout Israel's dwelling in the land of Canaan. One of the promises that God made to Abraham was the promise of the land. And it's here in the 
uh, covenant that God made with Israel at Sinai that he's preparing his people for that inheritance. And within 40 years, of course, they had received it. The central promise that God gave to Abraham I will be, was, I will be a God to you and to your offspring. And it was in the tabernacle that God had Moses build at Mount Sinai that God came to dwell among his people, to be their God and to make them his people. So all of these promises that God made to Abraham were being fulfilled to Abraham. And we have to see that in order to see the continuity of the Mosaic Covenant with the Abrahamic Covenant and at the same time also with the New Covenant. Because all of those promises that God made to Abraham, though they were fulfilled in a typical way to Israel at Mount Sinai, the reality of those promises was not complete until Christ came. In the numerous seed is the uh, children of Abraham who are gathered also from the Gentiles. The land is the land of uh, the new heavens and the new earth, which God has promised to us. I will be a God to you and to your children after you is a promise that God has fulfilled also to the Gentiles. So we we see a, a continuity of this Sinaitic covenant with the covenant with Abraham, a fulfillment of that covenant, but also a, um, an expanding on the promises made and a further pointing of Israel to the future and to the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. So th those are the two aspects of this covenant. We need to see the law as a schoolmaster to bring them to Christ, but we also need to see the um, Sinaitic covenant or the Mosaic covenant as fulfilling the promises of God made to Abraham. Now one other thing before we jump into looking at this uh, chapter in Galatians, and that is that Paul frequently quotes in this chapter from the Old Testament, at least seven times in this chapter, he gives quotations from the Old Testament, and many of those quotations which he gives are from the law itself. And Paul is saying a couple of things by quoting from the Old Testament. He's saying, first of all, this is not just my teaching which I'm giving you. This is what the scriptures have been teaching all along. This is my gospel is the gospel that God declared to his people also in the Old Testament. But note even more importantly that Paul is saying to the Judaizers, you don't even understand the law. You don't understand my gospel. You don't understand the doctrine of justification by faith. But you don't understand the law either. If you had a proper understanding of the law, you wouldn't be saying what you are saying about the Gentiles needing to be circumcised. The scriptures, he uses the law then against the Judaizers who were saying that the Gentiles had to obey the law. That's a very important point, that the Judaizers were not properly understanding even the law in their attempt to impose that law upon the Gentiles. So let's begin now to look at 
uh, Galatians chapter 3. I think we may divide the chapter into four parts. In verses 1 to 9, we have a kind of introductory sec- section, and we're going to deal very briefly with that in a couple of minutes. Then in verses 10 to 14, the apostle makes the point that the, the law does not bring justification. The law brings a curse. Justification is by faith, not by the works of the law. That's verses 10 to 14. In verses 15 to 18, the apostle explains then what the law does not do in regard to the promise. He's beginning then to show what is the relationship between the law and the promise. And in verses 15 to 18, he shows what it does not do in regard to the promise. And then in verses 19 and following, he shows us what the law does in regard to the promise. It's that final section of the chapter, verses 19 and following, which we're not going to get to today. We have to talk about the first three sections today, and next week, God willing, we'll talk about verses 19 and following. So let's look first then at verses 1 to 9. Paul makes two points here, and he makes these points by way of questions to the Galatians. The first of the questions he asks is, how did you receive the Spirit in the first place? Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law, or did you receive the Spirit by the hearing of faith? And of course, the answer to that is, they received it by the, him, the Spirit, by the hearing of faith. They did not receive him by the works of the law. They were Gentiles. They uh, were not observing the ceremonies at that time. They had not been circumcised and were not circumcised in connection with their conversion to Christianity. They received the Spirit by the hearing of faith, not by the works of the law. And, And Paul's saying then, well, this is already an argument against now using the works of the law at this point as part of your justification. You did not receive the Spirit by the works of the law. Why should you think, then, that you have to now take on those works of the law in order to continue to be justified by the Spirit? The second question that he asks is, having begun in the Spirit, will you now be made perfect by the law? So, you were justified and saved in the first place by the hearing of faith, but now you have to live every day as Christians in the world, and you have to receive daily the forgiveness of sins, and you have to be made perfect in uh, your way of life with the God who has become your God. How are you going to be made perfect? I, you, were, you began in the Spirit. Are you now going to be made perfect by the law? And the answer to that is, again, obvious. No, you began in the Spirit. You will also continue in the Spirit. or You will also be, continue by the hearing of faith, not by the works of the law. Or to put it differently, how does he who supplies the Spirit work, both in the beginning and now? Does he work by the works of the law, or does he work by the hearing of faith? And he points out then that with regard to Abraham, 
verse uh, 6, God worked by faith. He goes back to Abraham and he says, For Abraham it was not by works of law, but by the hearing of faith. Verse 6, Just as Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Abraham's justification and Abraham's salvation came to him by faith. That's how God worked with him. He's going to work the same way with you now. And this is what the scriptures also teach. Not only does the Apostle Paul in verse 6 quote from Genesis chapter 15, Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness, but he goes on to say in verse 7, Therefore know that only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. And see the point there. He's saying to them, it's not those who observe the ceremonial law who are the sons of Abraham. It's not those who are Jews by birth who are the sons of Abraham. It is those who are of faith who are the sons of Abraham, whether they are Jews or Gentiles. And in verse 8, and the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand, saying, In you all the nations shall be blessed. And here's another promise that God made to Abraham, a promise that had so far not been fulfilled to him. In you all the nations shall be blessed. But now Paul says it is being fulfilled. The scriptures foresaw what is happening now. And foreseeing that, they preached the gospel to Abraham, saying, speaking this promise, in you all the nations shall be blessed. That is, then, as Paul goes on to say in verse 9, those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham. Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham. Those who believe the promise of God are justified and their faith is counted for righteousness before God. So that's the the subject, the the main point. And you can see there uh, in verses 1 to 9, you can see there how the um, scriptures are laying out for us this basic doctrine this very important doctrine of justification by faith and how the Gentiles are justified in the very same way that Abraham was justified way back in the early part of Old Testament history. Nothing changed for the Gentiles. Just as Abraham was justified by faith, so the Gentiles are to be justified by faith. And in fact, this same was true also for the Jews after Mount Sinai. That's also part of what Paul says here, but let's make the point now, at least in a preliminary way. They were justified by faith if they were justified at all. They were not justified by the works of the law. The covenant that the Lord made with them at Sinai did not change that fundamental fact. So let's 
turn then to verses 10 to 14. And what we see here is that the apostle goes now to the subject of the law. And he says, what's going to happen to those who are of the works of the law? That is, what's going to happen to Judaizers and those like them? For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. What the apostle is saying here is, if you come under the works of the law, you as Gentiles come under the works of the law, you come not under justification, not under salvation, not under Christ, but you come under the curse. The Judaizers themselves, as long as they adhere to this doctrine of justification by works, are under the curse. Why? For it is written, and here he quotes from the Old Testament scriptures, Deuteronomy 27, verse 26, Cursed is everyone who does not continue in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. Now there's some omission there in that verse of some ideas that Paul has not explicitly stated. He's uh, given to us some basic premises here, but he's not given us every thought that is in his mind. We have to supply those thoughts. And the thoughts are this, that if you are under the law, if you are of the works of the law, that is, if you are uh, one of those who thinks that you have to be justified by works and not by faith only, then you are under the curse, and you are under the curse because you cannot keep the law perfectly. And what the law says is this, cursed is everyone who does not continue in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. If you fail in one point with regard to that law, you will be cursed. You may keep the law in every respect except in one point only. And if you fail in that one point, you will be cursed. And of course, it's also then implied here, no one keeps the law perfectly. As many as are of the works of the law are under the curse because no one keeps that law perfectly. Cursed is everyone who does not continue in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. That is, cursed is everyone. Period. No one keeps it. As long as you are of the works of the law, you will be cursed. And then Paul makes that very emphatic in verses 11 and 12. But that no one is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident, for the just shall live by faith. Again, he quotes from the Old Testament, this time from Habakkuk 2, verse 4. The just shall live by faith. Paul says, my teaching is no new teaching here about justification by faith alone. This is Old Testament teaching. This comes from the prophet Habakkuk. And he could also have quoted Psalm 32, of course, with regard to David. 
as he does in Romans chapter 4. And what Paul is implying here, again, his, his argument is not stated in all its details. No one is justified by the law in the sight of God, he says, and uh, that's plain because the scriptures say, the just shall live by faith. In other words, you have two choices here. You are either justified by the law, and in order to be justified by the law, you have to keep it perfectly without any failures whatsoever, or you are justified by faith. And the two don't mix. You cannot combine the two. You cannot say, I will be justified by both faith and works. The two are not uh, compatible. Verse 12, yet the law is not of faith, but the man who does them shall live by them. In other words, the law and faith have completely different principles. The law says, do this and you shall live. The faith says, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall live. The law says, do this and you will be justified in the presence of God. Faith says, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be justified. The law is not a faith. The law is not compatible with faith. That is, the works of the law and doing the works of the law in order to be justified is not compatible with faith. And again, he's uh, quoting from the Old Testament scriptures when he says, the man who does them shall live by them. That's Leviticus chapter 18, verse 5. So he's again using the law against the Judaizers, and he's saying even the law said this principle, the man who does them shall live by them. That was the principle of the law. And of course, it was demonstrated over and over again in Israel's history that they did not do the law and would not live by the law. How did they live then? They lived by faith. The just shall live by faith. There's a complete incompatibility then between the law Uh, the works of the law and being justified by the law and being justified by faith. But notice there then, too, that if it's true that even the Jews in the Old Testament were not justified by the law but by faith, then the Judaizers are way off base. Why are they trying to impose the law on the Gentiles? As a way of justification. How can they do that? That's not the way things were in the Old Testament even. They're contradicting and coming into conflict with the purpose of the law in the Old Testament. And with the way of salvation that God ordained even for his people Israel in the Old Testament. Now the other two verses in this section, verses 13 and 14, make the point then that Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. So cursed is everyone who does not continue in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. How do we escape that curse then, since God has given his law? 
And the answer to that is Christ became a curse for us. And he redeemed us from that curse. And again, the apostle quotes from the law, Deuteronomy 21, verse 23. Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Christ hung on a tree. Christ bore the curse of the law. He bore that curse for us. He has redeemed us from that curse. So while we are apart from Christ, we are Christ, we are under the curse of the law. There's no escape for us from the curse of the law by the law. It's Christ who redeems us from the curse of the law. But notice too the purpose of Christ redeeming us from the curse of the law and becoming a curse for us, that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus. That's verse 14. Christ became a curse for us. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. And he's talking about the Jews there in verse 13. So that the blessing of Abraham, that is the blessing of justification by faith alone, might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus. That we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. So the promise of the Spirit is the promised Spirit. The Spirit whom God promised. Did you receive the promise, Paul says at the beginning, by the hearing of faith or by the works of the law? You received it by the hearing of faith. Here he's repeating that same idea. But he's associating it with the death of of Christ. Christ has redeemed us, he says, from the curse of the law, that law which God gave to his people on Mount Sinai, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. The key point here, then, in verses 10 to 14 is this. The law cannot justify. It can only curse. It is faith in the promise that justifies. It is faith in the promise that receives the Spirit. It is faith in the promise that brings uh, to life. And you can't mix these two things. The law's principle is different from the principle of faith. The law's principle is do this and live, transgress and die. Faith's principle is believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and live. So he's talking about justification by faith alone. He's talking about the way of salvation for us today. It is justification by faith alone. Now let's go on then to verses 15 to 18. This is really part of the second major division in the chapter, but I want to save our second discussion of Galatians 3 for verses 19 and following. So I want to cover verses 15 to 18 here. In these verses, the apostle begins to explain the relationship of the law and the promise. And in verses 15 to 18, he explains what the law does not do in regard to the promise. So this is the negative part of his argument about the relationship between the law and the promise. What is that relationship 
not supposed to achieve. He begins with the example of a covenant of men with men. Brethren, I speak in the manner of men. Though it is only a man's covenant, yet if it is confirmed, no one annuls or adds to it. So what he's imagining here is that two men make a covenant. Like the covenant that Jacob and Laban made, for example, when Laban pursued Jacob almost to the border of the land of Canaan. Or like the covenant that Solomon made with Hiram when he was arranging for Hiram to supply him with materials for the building of the temple. They uh, came to agreement about the terms of the covenant. The covenant was confirmed. Paul says about such covenants of men with men, no one annuls or adds to it. Once it's been confirmed, it's complete. Neither party to the covenant has the right simply to annul or disregard that covenant. Both are bound by it. Neither party has the right unilaterally to add to the covenant or to change it. One or both parties may find that they dislike the terms of the covenant, may find that they want the covenant to change or they want the covenant to be annulled, but neither party has the power to change or annul it. Both parties are bound by the terms of that covenant. And what Paul says then in the following verses is that this is the pattern that pertains for the covenant God made with Abraham as well. God gave his promise to Abraham and his seed. And when he gave that promise to Abraham and his seed, that was a covenant given by God himself. It was a unilateral covenant. Abraham was not a party to it in the sense that he and God had discussed terms and Abraham agreed to the terms. No, God came to him and said, this is my covenant, which I make with you. God made that covenant, that promise to Abraham. And now the point is that Paul's making is, that covenant's confirmed and sealed. God went through that whole ceremony of passing between the pieces of the animals. God swore by himself. God gave to Abraham the sign of his covenant in circumcision. And that covenant's confirmed, sealed, finished, complete. Nothing can change it. The law cannot change the covenant God made with Abraham. The law cannot annul it. The law cannot add to its terms. The law cannot subtract from its terms. The covenant, the promise, remains the same. That's the argu- the basic argument. He takes that argument of covenants that God, uh, that men make with men and he transfers it to the covenant that God made with Abraham. And he says to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. So this covenant was made with Abraham first, but it was also, note, made with his seed. To Abraham and his seed were the promises made. That is, that seed is Israel of the Old Testament first, but as Abraham points out, ultimately that seed is Christ. He does not say, and to seeds as of many, but as of one, and to your seed who is Christ. So this is the promise that God made to Israel, and this is the promise that God made to Christ. And the law, verse 17, which was 430 years later, 
cannot annul the covenant that was confirmed by before by God in Christ, or perhaps better, to Christ, to Abraham and his seed where the promise is made, that it should make the promise of no effect. He says, in so many words, the law did not annul the covenant that God confirmed before with Abraham. It did not make that promise of no effect. It did not change the terms of God's covenant with Abraham. For if the inheritance, and he means there the inheritance of the land, is of the law, it is no longer a promise. But God gave it to Abraham by promise. So it is the uh, receiving of the promises is by faith in the promise. It's not by law. If it were by law, it would not be by promise any longer. The law then would have come as a substitute for the promise, not as an addition to the promise, but as a substitute for the promise. It would have made the promise of no effect. When God therefore brought Israel into the land of Canaan, it was not because of their obedience to the law. It was because of his promise to Abraham. And you can read this all the way through the history of Israel in the wilderness over and over again. God could have uh, cast away his people because of their transgressions of his law. But over and over again, Moses reminded him, you have made a promise. The inheritance was by the promise, not by the law, the keeping of the law. So the law, what Paul is saying here in verses 15 to 18, is the law did not change the terms of the covenant God had made with Abraham. And he quotes again in this passage from Genesis 12, verse 7. He does not say unto seeds as of many, but as of one, and to your seed who is Christ. He quotes again from the Jewish scriptures, and he says, This promise was made to Christ and was fulfilled to Christ. The seed is Christ, and the promises could only be fulfilled to him. The seed of Abraham, in fact, could not have existed, the true seed of Abraham, could not have existed without Christ. And the mission of the covenant of God with Abraham to bless all nations could not be fulfilled without Christ. So what applied to Abraham, that the promise was by faith, applied to Christ, that the promise was by faith, and applies to all the children of Abraham, from both the Jews and the Gentiles, in both the Old and the New Testaments. It's all by promise. The way of salvation between Old and New Testament does not change. It was not different for Israel after Sinai than it is for us today, and than it was for Abraham before Israel. The law does not annul or change the covenant with Abraham. It cannot make the promise of no effect. And so the inheritance of the land, and the receiving of the promises, is not by the law, nor by the law and, the pro and promise together, but by the promise alone. As God says at the very end, God gave it to Abraham and therefore gives it to us 
by the promise. So the point of the Mosaic Covenant then is not that what God was changing or adding to the covenant with Abraham. It's not that God was annulling the covenant with Abraham and making a new covenant. It's not that there is a, an essential difference between God's dealings with Israel and his dealings with Abraham. Justification, salvation, inheritance, receiving of the promises, all the blessings of God were received by faith always throughout the Old Testament, and the law didn't change that. A very important point for us to grasp. Of course, then, that raises the big question. What purpose, then, does the law serve? Verse 19. And that's the question we'll look at next time. But for this time, it's enough for us to get hold of this basic idea which the Apostle Paul is defending and explaining throughout the whole book of Galatians, really, that our justification today is by faith alone, not by the works of the law. That faith must take hold of Jesus Christ and of the fulfillment of God's promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Israel, and all his people in the Old Testament in the Lord Jesus Christ. It must be received, those promises, because God spoke the gospel to Abraham already back in Genesis 12 when he said to him, In your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. God has been preaching the gospel for thousands of years. Really, ever since he spoke to the serpent in Genesis 3 verse 15, His promise, his covenant, has always been a covenant of grace. His work of salvation has always been a work which is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And the law on Sinai did not change that. And we may not, therefore, take God's law in the New Testament, as we have it, the Ten Commandments especially, and say, we are to be justified in part by our obedience to that law. Because the same principle applies today as did then. By the law is the knowledge of sin. We are cursed by the law. Everyone who is of the works of the law is under the law's curse. For the law says, cursed is everyone who continues not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. We must seek our salvation only in Christ, not in works. If we try to add works, we reject grace. We adopt a different gospel. We come under the curse of the law. We return to the bondage from which Christ has redeemed us. Seek him. Believe in him. Receive your salvation from him alone by faith in him and in the promises of God. May God bless you with his word.